0: the Football Neophyte, where an American who knows a lot about sports
1: but little about soccer journeys through the 2018-19 Premier League season to discover a team to root for. Welcome everyone to the penultimate episode of the Football Neophytes podcast. We've interviewed so far 19 amazing supporters and we're now down to the final one. Representing Everton Football Club is James, the boy man of the American Toffee Podcast. James, thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, schooling you guys in the way of the toffee.
1: Oh, I can't. Well, like, first we have to, let's just talk about the, the name toffee. I, we, how does that come about? How does that represent your club? Uh, yeah, what's, what's the deal with toffee?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, with Everton comes a ton of history, um, and we'll get into that a little more specifically, I, I imagine, in a little bit. But the toffee thing was when the club were initially playing, um, there were like two competing basically candy shops, and one of them was releasing a candy called the Everton Mint, and then there was the Everton toffee. And it was kind of like this business competition where they would – like hand out the candies for free before games to like, I guess like a publicity stunt essentially build up demand. And then they became so popular that it kind of was adopted um, as the nickname, the toffee or the the toffees or the toffee men most commonly now it's the toffees, but kind of just like a throwback. You have to think this is like 1880s, 1890s. So yeah. Okay. There it is. Do they still make Everton toffee? Yeah, as far as I know, that's still like made. Um, there is still like a girl who goes around the, the stadium before games. Um, I haven't been able to make the pilgrimage across the pond yet myself. Um, my co host on our show and I are planning to go over, I think, next year. Sweet. But yeah, they, they do have like a girl who dresses up and hands out candy to kids before the game as like a token gesture uh, to the, the, the a little bit of a throwback. Love
1: right,
0: it. So
2: part, part of this whole thing is that Nate and I are trying to find who our team is. And, and in a way, you get to become the salesman of your team. And let me just say, a girl handing out candy outside of of the game (laughs) is a great way to get me on board. I mean, this couldn't have started out any better.
0: Yeah, you start with, you get a couple drinks in you and then you just walk up, people are handing you candy. Like, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, honestly. It's like the complete (laughs) opposite starting
1: to the Newcastle podcast, right? Where the Newcastle podcast starts with talking about how shitty their beer is. (laughs) And now we're talking about this apparently great uh, candy, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So a little juxtaposition there for you. There we go. This
2: is blowing my world. I thought I knew coming into this, but this is starting out really strong.
1: (laughs) So James, tell us like how does a Mainer uh, become a fan of Everton?
0: Well, I should start by saying that, um, you know, being in New England, I am a fan of like Boston sports, so grew up like a Patriots fan, Red Sox fan, et cetera, et cetera. But I do have kind of like a proclivity for like unconventional sports fandoms. Namely, when I was in middle school, I became a diehard Gonzaga Bulldogs basketball fan.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So I've got, oh, this, okay, like, yeah. So- like side love for for gonzaga
0: so like i was obsessed with them for for a long time um and like my cycle of of sports fandom kind of like rotates from one sport to the other like when i was really young probably i mean i'm only i'm 24 so i'm a little bit younger than you guys but um whoa 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 (laughs) i assume i'm assuming just it's uh, true it's true we got i've got three kids it's tough to do by 24 although possible yeah (laughs) ambitious but yeah um (laughs) And so, like, I was a Red Sox fan. I was really into baseball when I was younger, playing baseball. I mean, I played sports growing up. I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. Then I kind of shifted to being, like, a diehard Gonzaga fan. And then right around the time I was getting into high school, I was playing soccer, um, and the Premier League was starting to become kind of big. But I guess the initial seed was planted back when Fox Soccer Channel, if when that was a thing, they used to show, like, miscellaneous – european games all the time you'd get like the odd ac milan game you'd get you know a spanish game and then you get some premier league games and then one day i was watching it i I couldn't have been older than like 12 or 13 maybe 14 and everton was on and what originally drew me to them was just i liked the logo like the crest i thought it was really cool yeah and not really understanding anything about the sport or like the bigger context of you know not even getting into the english football pyramid and relegation and all those things I was just like, yeah, I like that logo. I'm going to like root for them. And so they're kind of like in the back of my mind. And then as the Premier league became more accessible to American fans, I kind of adopted them. Um, and I guess when I really bought in and started following it really, really closely was right around the end of the David Moyes era when he left, um, to become the coach, the manager of Manchester United, and the club hired Roberto Martinez. And we had an unbelievable season that year. We qualified by, by Everton's recent standards. Um, Qualified for the Europa League, finished, I think, fifth. Uh, That was when we had Romelu Lukaku on loan Uh from Chelsea, and before we signed him on a permanent basis. And that was kind of like the initial where I kind of jumped all in. I'm like, this is an unbelievable league and a really cool team um, to support. And similar to you, I know we were talking before, didn't want to root for like one of the big boys, nothing against anyone who does, but, I think one of the advantages or the great things about English soccer, soccer in general is that if you're rooting, there's always something to root for, right? Like in American sports, if you're not competing for a championship, you're probably tanking so that you can get a high draft pick and your team's just trash. Whereas there's definitely levels of, of, you know, expectation within soccer where like Everton are finishing eighth this year, which isn't what anyone would have hoped for at the start of the year. But we're always pushing to like finish sixth, seventh. You're, you have com- competition for the European places. You have cup competitions. You have all of these different things that make, even if you're not rooting for a team that's competing for the Champions League or the Premier League title every year, there's still reason to root for it. And um, honestly, Everton just has an unbelievably authentic and, and really cool fan base. So that's kind of like the long winded, uh, roundabout way of how I ended up as a fan of Everton.
1: Well, and I think what's, I think you're, you're, touching on something that I never thought I would agree with when I first jumped into this. And that is how can it be exciting when there's no championship game, right? Like I think for a huge barrier for Americans to embrace European soccer, because even the MLS has a championship game, right? Right. For, uh, for European soccer, this idea of and I know this year 's a bit of an o- anomaly that it 's coming down to the final weekend to determine who 's who 's the champion but but i just couldn 't imagine like how is that exciting but the more i like learned and realized, oh, until last weekend, there was still a battle for Champions League, and there was a battle for Europa and that seventh position, which could be a Europa qualifier. Oh, and there's also this relegation battle that's happening. And these levels of within the table that actually matter, the more you pay attention.
0: Right. A hundred percent. And then, you know, you have the relegation really where you don't want to be in terms of a rooting interest. And this is where Everton found themselves firmly uh, last season was like firmly mid table where you're like, between 12th and like eighth and you're just kind of middling around you and then you go out of the cup competitions early and there's really nothing to root for and when everton were managed by sam allardyce last season playing some really really unattractive possession (laughs) rejecting uh soccer it just becomes kind of a chore and becomes really tough to watch but yeah to your point Absolutely, like there's always something to root for, even if you're not going for the championship. And it is something that's that attracted me to the sport in general, and I think is really unique to, to soccer itself compared to American sports. Yeah.
1: Well, tell us a little bit about the history of the club.
0: All right. Well, I hope you guys are strapped in because we're <laughs> about to go. Everton. You know, people don't really know this because, or I think most Americans don't really know this, but Everton are actually considered maybe. You know, I think. Any, If you ask any British person about Everton, they would consider them to be an absolutely massive club within the historical context of of you know a sport that goes back to the 18, uh, 1800s. So the club was founded in 1878, originally as St. Domingo FC because that was a local church, um, which is something that is a trend for a lot of clubs. I'm sure that you guys have probably come across that um, in your various interviews is that it was – primarily used as like a winter alternative to cricket. When cricket was played in the summer, the church teams would have soccer to be able to play in the off season. And so that's kind of how it started in 1878. A few years later, they changed their name to Everton when some members who weren't part of the church wanted to play and kind of expanded. Um, And Everton is actually a district within the city of Liverpool. So that's where the name itself comes from. And so they were founding members of the football league in 1888. And, um, they played the most top flight divisions in, of any club in English football. They've been in the top division for 116 seasons and have only spent four seasons outside of the top division and have been in it since 1954. Wow. So they haven't
1: been relegated one time since 1954. Correct. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So they're very consistent. Um, you know, as far as you you think of teams that can kind of yo-yo, they, they have their downs, they have their ups. And they've yeah, they've been relegated, um, I think it was t- two times total, and then they were quickly right back up. So like, they've been preeminent, one of the preeminent clubs in England for a long, long time since essentially the founding of the football pyramid in the football league. They've won the first division of English football, you know, not, they had never won the Premier League since it became the Premier League in 1991, but they are nine time first division champions. The last one was in uh, 1987, which is the fourth most of any club, so pretty significant again historically. And they've won the FA Cup five times. So though the recent history hasn't been there, the most recent trophy was the FA Cup in 1995. They do again have like a stature that is, you know, not not unmatched. You know, other clubs, Manchester United, Liverpool, those clubs have more championships, but. When you put it in the context of the whole league and or the history of the league and not just the Premier League, they're they're pretty huge.
1: Why do you think they haven't uh, like solidified themselves in that like top six, top four positioning?
0: Well, for a long time, they struggled with finding a good manager. Financially, they haven't been consistent. They've had financial troubles for a long time, struggling to find money. Um, We actually a few months ago had a reporter from the wall street journal who just released a book called the club how the english Premier league became the wildest richest most disruptive force in sports here's me plugging some other guy's book but <laughs> he talks about like the business behind it because essentially when the Premier league was founded in 1991 it was very it was very roughly it wasn't the global sensation that it is now and so there are very few clubs that were able to harness like and, and see the vision of commercial potential and they actually drew pretty heavily on the NFL as inspiration for that, about how the stadiums, you know, you could get good food mm-hmm. in 1980, you would go to a, an English soccer game and you wouldn't be able to get food. The bathrooms were just like dumps, like holes in the ground. It was not like a fan friendly atmosphere. It was very working class. And there were very few clubs that that saw the potential and were able to exploit that commercially Manchester United being first and foremost. Um, and Everton just really weren't ever able to do that. They weren't able to to develop the commercial prowess that's needed to develop a worldwide brand. Um, And then essentially what it, what it comes down to in soccer is just money. And if you have the money, you're usually pretty successful. If you don't have it, then you're not. But what Everton did do for a long time when they had David Moyes, again, like I said earlier, who left to be man short tenured Manchester United manager to follow Alex Ferguson. Um, They, they really competed above their weight considering the limited funds that they had. They did really well, pretty consistently finishing in like outside the top four, five, six, seven, those places. Um, So they competed well, but never really able to break through that ceiling since the Premier League's been founded. So who is the current owner of the club? So a few years ago, the club was purchased by an Iranian businessman named Farhad Moshiri, who is a billionaire. So that was a really huge windfall for the club. And since then, we do have money now. We can spend money. Um, Not the money, not to the point of like Manchester City where you can just, have cannons filled with cash that you fire off every direction and just hope and just all the best players just wander to you. But we've spent roughly 300 million in the last few seasons um, on players on transfers. It just hasn't. And I could talk about this for hours, but it just hasn't been well spent. We brought in um, a director of football named Steve Walsh, who actually was the head scout for the Leicester city team that won the Premier League and was the guy who originally scouted guys like N'Golo Conte and Danny Drinkwater, and Riyad Mahrez. Um, So we hired him. We took him from Leicester and appointed him director of football, which is a different role from a head scout where you're, like, overseeing the whole – all transfers, all the youth system, and he just was not equipped to to handle the job. And so we spent a lot of money on a lot of mediocre players and gave a lot of players huge contracts, which we're still kind of trying to dig ourselves out of, and he was fired um, at the end of last season and we brought in, and as well as our manager, um, Ronald Koeman, who was fired mid-season. And we brought in Marco Silva, who was the Watford manager, and we brought in Marcel Brands, who was, was a very well-respected and well-regarded director of football who came from PSV, which is another um, Danish club that yeah. is one of essentially the three big clubs in, in um, Holland. And so he's done a really good job of – Essentially, this season has been a complete 180 from what we've seen before. We brought in really good signings, and they've all made a really positive impact. And so, long story short, things are really kind of looking up. The trajectory is going forward um, is very positive, and the attitude around the fans of Everton is very good.
1: So, wait, I'm now, like, I'm putting all this together. When I asked about owners, I just realized that you're in a, like, horrible predicament that the owner of your beloved Red Sox, assuming they're still your beloved Ah, yes, I knew
0: this would come up. is also
1: the owner of the much-hated Liverpool Football Club.
0: Is that right, right? No, that is absolutely right. Uh, Admittedly, I'm not the biggest baseball fan anymore. I don't follow it as closely. Um, But yeah, it is kind of a conflict of interest. You would think that being from New England... Um, that I would be a Liverpool fan, but I did choose Everton. And actually, Evertonians say that you're chosen. You you don't choose. That's like <laughs> one of the things that people say. Um, but I, I became an Everton fan before John Henry purchased uh, Liverpool. So maybe if the the timelines had lined up, it could be a very different picture that I'm looking at uh, Champions League final and whatnot. But now I'm looking at eighth place in the Premier League and a long summer of transfer uh, rumors instead. <laughs> Do you find yourself uh, – is
1: New England mostly Liverpool fans because of that or not really? It's does, There's no correlation.
0: I would say that there's a fair amount, but I also know plenty of Chelsea fans, plenty of Man City fans. I think that the – I don't know if people really pick their team based on the owner, if yeah. that makes sense. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Um, but I do – what I will say is that it is – if I do meet a Premier League fan, there is like a 99.9% chance that it's either Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea, City, or uh, Spurs.
1: Yeah, like, of course.
0: Top five, top five, top six, definitely dominate the conversation as far as American fans go.
1: Yeah, it's the same here. Same here.
0: Uh, anything else about the history that you wanted to touch on? Um. Not really, I mean, that that kind of, oh, I do, I should say, yeah, I I should touch on Dixie Dean, who is um, the record holder, Everton, in the 1927-28 campaign, he scored 60 goals in one season, which is 39 games, which is a top division record, and is probably going to stand until the end of time, so he is, like, revered amongst Evertonians as probably one of the best ever players, uh, ever, period. Wow. That's amazing.
2: when was your guys' last title, or
0: have you ever won a title? Yeah, so uh, nine-time First Division champions, never having won the Premier League, but the last First Division title was 1987. Okay.
1: Uh, do, are there any songs or chants that epitomize the club?
0: Yeah, there's a couple. Um, the big one is – well, there's there's two. So uh, Z Cars, which is actually like a theme song to – I think it's like a 1960s British sitcom – but it plays before the team comes out at Goodison every game and it's got kind of like it's a really nice intro and then it kind of kicks up and the crowd goes nuts. Um, I'm, I've heard that it's it's a goosebumps inducing um, sensation to hear that play when you're in this when you're in Goodison Park. but uh, yeah, so that's that's probably like one of the more iconic songs in Watford actually were using it for for years and they took it on after we were using it. Um, But they recently ditched it for like an Elton John song because he's like their owner. Yeah, Um, that's right. But the other song is grand old team. I would say this other, it's just, I mean, I could sing it for you guys, but I won't uh, put you (laughs) through that suffering, but that's probably another big one that is, is a very prominent Everton song. It's not probably not as well known as like, you'll never walk alone or like, like blowing bubbles, but those are probably the main two. Yeah. You guys don't like twist it to say you'll always walk by yourself. (laughs) you bastard no
1: or anything like that there's no never
0: no we're not we're not we're not li- we're not ripping off liverpool and <laughs> we're just uh we try to you know it's a, it's we can talk about it in a little bit but like the liverpool everton rivalry is is called the it's the merseyside derby is called the friendly derby uh-huh. um you know you have families that are split between liverpool and everton fans it's such a closely knit city that the fan bases are you know, your best friends are Liverpool and Everton fans. Um, and so it's, it's kind of hard to have like that fierce rivalry, but I think in recent years it's probably taken on a bit more of a, a negative, um, attitude, especially Everton fans. I think it's just kind of a resentment more or less of their recent yeah. success, but, um, I won't try to, I won't psychoanalyze the fan base at large. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, tell us about Goodison Park. So, um, no offense to you, but my goal this whole season was to have Roger Bennett represent Everton. Yeah, I
0: saw you. I saw you trying to trying to get him. So I'm sorry that you couldn't get him, and that I'm the replacement. But I hope no. I'm-
1: I'm ha- I'm happy. I just I really I worked hard to get Roger Bennett. He was like my inspiration for even doing the podcast to begin yeah. with. So but all that being said, I did see him. He was just there, I think, for the was it for the man you win or Probably yeah. I think and he posted something like, Hey, go to some park, amazing atmosphere, like down the line. I encourage anyone if you know, to come to this park in the next couple of years before it's gone or i didn't really like totally get it so talk a little bit about goodison park is it like i think i from what i understand it's like a historical park but then also are they doing a new stadium are they renovating what's going on
0: yeah so this is another pretty interesting story so originally everton actually played at anfield Uh of course liverpool stadium um from 1884 to 1892 they played there and what eventually happened was the stadium became owned by a, a new owner and he there was a dispute over the rent. He my understanding is that he jacked up the rent exponentially over the course of a couple of years. And so Everton were just like, all right, well, we're peacing out, we're leaving. And so they left Anfield, and then that's when Liverpool FC was founded. Uh-huh. Um so you know, that gives us something to we'll always be able to hold that over Liverpool fans' heads. That we played at their stadium before they did, <laughs> um, and then they moved to Goodison Park, which was actually the first purpose-built football stadium in England. So that's you know pretty substantial, pretty significant achievement considering all of the the parks that have popped up since. Yeah, um, they played there from eighteen, the end of eighteen ninety two until present day. So there's of course a ton of history. Um it's I think besides Wembley, it's the only British stadium to have hosted a world cup semi final mm. um, so you know a lot a lot a lot of history in that stadium, but it is very much um old and kind of decrepit at this point where you know there's been a lot of renovations over the years, but the foundation is still what it is. it's still over a hundred years old and so the plan is there. Been there. Have been many plans over the last few decades to move to a new stadium for Everton. Um, if you if you go, there's a lot of like obstructed views where there's posts just like in the way. Kind of, it's kind of like Fenway Park almost in a way. Uh-huh. I mean, it Has a lot of character, but it's not exactly. It's by no means modern. And so, um, the plan is to move to a new stadium within the next three to four years. Um, and I believe the plan is to repurpose Goodison Park. Um, for some kind of charitable purpose, um, hmm. Everton have a really, really prominent charity, Everton in the community. That's part of the club that does a lot for the community. So I think they're going to try to utilize that some way. Got it.
1: Um, so with that, there was something that I heard during the Man U match that I, out of all the like 30 matches I've watched this season, I haven't heard this in any uh, in any other match. But this also could be because. Most of the matches I watch at, like, 4.30 in the morning here on the West Coast. And my whole family's sleeping, so I watch it with, like, the TV turned down to, like, (laughs) 3. Yeah. (laughs) So I can barely hear anything. But I was (laughs) watching this match, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the match, I hear this, like, ding-dong. Boop-boop. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I hadn't heard that anywhere else. Is that normal? Was that, like, is that something, like, only – goodison park does or would i just hear something that was an anomaly
0: yeah this was a i saw this on like the the notes that you sent me and i was kind of like i never really thought about it but i guess i've never really heard it at any other park either i could be mistaken but i think it's, it's just something that they play before an announcement's made over the pa system i don't think there's any particular significance or like you know the ding dong isn't some like signal or anything like that it's just you know we're about to make an announcement over the pa uh, and so we're going to preclude it with the, uh, the ding dong. So that people know to pay attention. Yeah. That, I mean, it totally makes sense.
2: I figured it was just the Amazon
1: guy delivering. <laughs>
0: yeah. Do. Yeah. It's the doorbell.
1: Yeah. When my kids are sleeping, that's when he comes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about some more current, current yeah. news. Uh, obviously like watching the man, U match was a great match to highlight, <laughs> Everton, yeah. uh, a great victory. Can we even uh, call
2: that a match? I mean, that was just a drubbing.
1: It was. Yeah. It was yeah. a drubbing. Manu is a mess. They look like a mess. But we're not here to talk about Manu. We've done that. Um, my first question is Calvert-Lewin. He's playing striker. Is that right? Like, that's where it lo- how it looks on the, like, the lineup. But yet, Rich Arlison scores all the goals. Tell me a bit about that.
0: Yeah, so Calvert-Lewin is is a 22-year-old, so he's very much a developing prospect. Um, he hadn't really cemented his place in the side by any extent for the beginning of the season. One of the biggest struggles that Everton have had over the last few seasons was figuring out, or I guess since last year, was when we sold Romelu Lukaku to Manchester United, figuring out how to replace a player who gives you a solid 20 goals per season. Um, yeah, Those types of players just don't grow on trees. Everton have yet to adequately replace him. And so we've kind of just been trying fill-ins. We signed Jenk uh, Tosin from Besiktas last season, and he hasn't really been able to do well. He started out the season, played the first couple games, um, and didn't really do a ton. And so, yeah, the, the striker position has been kind of a revolving door for us. Richarlison has actually played at all three forward positions for us over the course of the year. He started out playing on the left, which is his preferred position, um, played a few games at striker and did okay, but he's not really like a big body that is going to be able to, to hold up possession in the way that we need if we're going to – the style that we want to play. And then now he's recently kind of settled in on the right-hand side. Um, and so Calvert-Lewin, his goal return, he, he doesn't really – he hasn't really scored much, and that's probably the biggest criticism of his game is that where, where do the goals come from? Yeah, but he he 's a physical prospect. He win ball, wins balls in the air. He he does really well holding up and getting other players involved, um, and just occupying, being persistent with the way that Everton press. Uh, he's been a vital component of that. And Richarlison has just been a really good signing for us, flat out. Um, I'm going to make a prediction here, and in, in a couple of years, we'll probably end up selling him for north of seventy, eighty million because I think he's that good. He's going to be special. Um, and he just has a knack for regardless of where he plays in the front line, he has the ability to to find the back of the net. He just gets in really good positions. He has really high IQ, really good positioning. And so, yeah, I think he's up to 12 or 13 goals this season. But Gilfie Sigurdsson, who um, was actually our record signing before Richarlison, or might even still be, uh, like 45 million from Swansea, also has, I think, 12 goals. So those two have been scoring most of the goals for us. And so – um, yeah, that, I guess that kind of answers your question. Calvert-Lewin has probably only played like the last mm, eight to ten games for us regularly starting a Striker. Got it. Okay, that makes sense.
2: All right, so let me ask you this, because I've noticed this as we've talked to people, and Nate, you may have covered this on a way earlier podcast before I jumped on the board, but it seems like everyone we talk to, they talk about these young players who are really good coming up and then the ability to sell them at this you know great rate later. Um like that—that that seems so crazy to me as an American sports fan. Like, wouldn't you rather just keep the guy on your team and have him play and be great for your team, as opposed to getting excited on the money that you're going to sell him for later?
0: Oh well, by all means, I would love to keep Richarlison for the for the majority of his career and have him become an Everton great. But from a realistic standpoint, if you when you when you follow soccer for long enough, you realize that there's very much like a hierarchy and. The big clubs have all the money and the players have all the power. And so at some point it just becomes reality that you have to accept. Um, Wayne Rooney, little throwback was originally an Everton player came up through the Everton Academy made his debut for Everton and Manchester United came calling and he was gone. And it's kind of just, that's just the trend. And now it's even more exaggerated with super clubs with billionaire, multi-billionaire owners who can just throw stupid money at players. The market's ridiculously inflated And so if a club want a player and the player wants to go to the club, the contracts that the players sign are not particularly meaningful in that they're not really all that binding. If a player really wants to go and the club can get like what they're asking for, for money, that's just kind of the, the way that it goes in soccer. Like it's not like baseball where you have like a 20 or whatever, you know, long contracts where the players have no opt outs. Um, There's no real opt outs in in soccer contracts but it is it is just kind of like you know you sign players to five-year deal just so that when another club comes you use the length of the deal as leverage to negotiate a higher fee got it
2: okay so there's no like there's no like true free agency periods for these guys they kind of just sign these deals and then when the club is like ah oh crap this guy wants to balance let's just sell him for the highest dollar
0: yeah. So like the, the tipping point is like the 18 month mark. If you're going to, if you're going to get rid of a player, um, if a player is at 18 months left on their deal, you need to either, um, you know, figure out what you're going to do. You got to either sell him or you got to resign him to a new contract. Because once that deal gets below a year, the player can just hold out, refuse to sign a new deal. And then you, le- he leaves and he leaves on a free transfer and you get absolutely nothing for him. Oh, so, that totally so, makes sense. So you have to, you have to try to recuperate recoup costs in some, some way. And so you try to keep these players on long-term deals, five-year, five-year, re-sign a five-year, just so that when Barcelona come calling for X player, you say, well, he still has five years left on his deal, so we want you to give us an extra $30 million for him.
2: Okay. Gotcha. All right, so Nate, you know, he likes to just scratch the surface of stuff Well, I like to really get down <laughs> deep into, like, the the good stuff about teams. So. I gotta ask, how do you feel about this angry birds patch on the, uh,
0: man, we could do a whole show just on the angry birds. logo. Honestly. Um, it's, it's pretty, my thoughts on it are that it's very, uh, symbolic of like where Everton are at as a club and kind of just a testament to where we're at commercially. Like, you know, you would, there was also the Chevy sponsorship that was mentioned. Um, we're not pulling Chevy to sponsor our shirts. And so we've got sports pay sport Pesa as our primary shirt sponsor. And they're like a Kenyan betting company. And then we've got angry birds on our, on our sleeve. I personally strongly dislike it. It's made me not want to buy Everton kits. Because <laughs> I, I don't like how it looks and like, I don't want to wear it's kind of stupid to, to think that way. But like, I just think it's aesthetically not, not great. I'd rather have a more established brand, but you know, they, they pay us well. There's been some interesting marketing crossovers and, and opportunities to exploit there. So it's whatever the club thinks is best. I mean, if if they're getting paid well, then, then it is what it is. But yeah, I'm not at all a fan of the angry birds logo. I'm, I'm very much on record about that.
1: I feel um, like angry birds made I feel like they could have done much better by approaching like Brighton Hove, Brighton and Hove Albion, yeah. or or Cardiff City, like that. Like brand alignment makes sense, right? They've got the birds on their kit already. Like, like that makes a lot of sense. But for Everton, it seems way off.
0: Yeah, but like the 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 commercial appeal of Everton, I think's pretty much bigger than a Brighton and Hove Albion. No disrespect to to anyone who works for the club. <laughs> But of course, and I think
1: too, like, and I maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but I imagine Angry Birds being an American game. I don't know if that's totally true. And Everton has some like American history, right? With players and such.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some American links. Landon Donovan played over yeah. there on a loan spell, Brian McBride played, um, Tim Howard, of course, probably. Most American fans you meet would cite Tim Howard as the reason they're Evertonians, and he was a big part of of what drew me to the club in like a really serious uh, capacity. But I think Angry Birds is actually like Swedish or like uh, Danish or something like that. Okay. Some, some Scandinavian country that actually makes the game. Got it. So Amero-centric of me to believe that
1: everything <laughs> comes from the U.S. I'm ashamed. Yeah, yeah. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs>
2: in a couple of years when they have Fortnite on their oh,
0: God. <laughs> yeah we're gonna get an epic game i take epic games i don't know about if i need like some some uh character like flossing on the side of the sleeve <laughs> that's not gonna be really uh, i'm definitely won't be buying that kit oh man that's funny
1: um tell me a little bit like they've they've do- they've realistically dominated the last three matches um even the draw I think who is the draw against uh um it would have been against was it Brighton uh, actually no it w- they just drew I don't full on I, I don't remember it. it was a lower it, it was a lower like
0: uh we actually lost to Fulham oh that's right it was Crystal, oh, Pal- right. oh, it was Crystal, Crystal Palace. Palace it was a nil nil against Crystal Palace
1: that's right but even that match you guys dominated possession like probably could have won and it seems like the team has been really inconsistent, like some just spots of like brilliance, but then also like languishing against Fulham. Right. Um, What, where do you, why do you think that is?
0: Yeah, I would say inconsistent is probably the word I've used the most on our podcast (laughs) over the course of this year. That basically sums us up. Um, I think there's a lot of contributing factors. Everton ever since David Moyes left have kind of been in managerial turmoil. We hired Roberto Martinez, who was here for two seasons, two and a half seasons. We then hired Ronald Koeman from Southampton, who was here for a little over a year, fired him, brought in Sam Allardyce to see out um, last year's campaign, sacked him at the end of the year, thankfully, because that was atrocious. And then we hired Marco Silva. So when you have four managers in three years, it becomes very hard to develop any kind of continuity with your recruiting, with your style of play, with all of those things um, and so I think the the main thing has just been developing in Marco Silva instilling his philosophy and style of play on the team, and that has been successful to varying extents over the course of the year. We started out very strong, and then after the disastrous 96 minute um, Merseyside derby goal, which I've tried to block out of my mind, but it still <laughs> haunts me. <laughs> um, we went on a really really downward spiral over the course of the holiday season. Um, probably part of that is due to players level of fitness. We, we signed some guys who hadn't been getting a lot of game time for their respective clubs. And so when you hit, get those, you get into that winter period where you're playing like, you know, multiple games a week, the cup ties start to come. Yeah. Um, it becomes very, and we, and we don't really have a ton of squad depth at this point. And so players get tired in the style of play where we're, we're pressing pretty heavily when we don't have the ball that becomes more demanding. And it kind of just fell off a cliff for a while. And then, Ever since that draw against Liverpool in the home uh, end of the Merseyside Derby, we've been on an, an unbelievably good run, really starting to see the philosophy. And, and people were ready to jump ship. People were saying Marco Silva needs to leave. He, we need to fire him. But I think the general sentiment was, no, you need to give these managers time because there's no, there's no easy fix. And I think some big clubs like Manchester United, I think, are starting to realize this now. Like You need to give someone time, multiple transfer windows to develop, a team um, built around their style of play, and that's, again, as, as the season winds down, we've started to see what Marco is all about and what this team's all about, and and all signs, again, are pointing upward, so it's it's been inconsistent. It's been quite the ride, but uh, it's coming to a very satisfying close.
1: Yeah, that's something I've noticed, too. It It feels like, and obviously, I have one season to really glimpse at this, but it seems like I don't know if there's another sport that has shorter managerial leash than Premier League soccer. And maybe it's a soccer thing worldwide, but it seems like the leash on these managers is so short.
2: That's, hang on, that's excluding the Phoenix Suns, though. <laughs> Other than the Phoenix Suns, soccer seems to have the quickest axe for coaching.
0: Yeah, especially, like, the big teams. Um, the pressure is really high, for one. Like, the difference between the Premier League money that you get just staying in the league versus playing in the championship is, like, hundreds of millions. Yeah. And so the a lot of these teams tend to have knee-jerk reactions when they think that there's a chance that they might either get relegated or not be as successful. And then you have the other end of the table where these teams, these six teams, and hopefully Everton are going to start to, you know, push themselves into that conversation over the next few years. But these teams are all, you know, before it was two or three and then it was the top four and now it's the top six. These teams have a lot of pressure to win year after year. And there's only so many trophies you can win in a year. So when the managers fail to deliver these owners who are just splashing cash left and right are like, well, what's the deal here? You're getting the ax. I'm going to bring in the next guy. Um, And I think overarching trend seems to be when you bring in a new manager, you see this with Ollie Gunnar Skolskjaer, I think I just butchered his name, but you get that man, that new manager boost. And then when, when that fades, you're left with whatever you have. And sometimes it works and sometimes you just sort of plummet. Yeah. That totally
1: makes sense. Uh, well, each, each episode we do a term of the week and we have touched on so many different terms. I've learned so much, but, and we didn't even have a term of the week going into this episode but while we were talking uh, pre, uh, pre-recording, pre you corrected me right away on something. And so uh, why don't you explain the the mistake I made and that this will be like our kind of final term or, or the way that we can be best educated about uh, Premier League soccer.
0: Yeah. So when first the first thing I noticed was when we were DMing and, and um, you asked me to come on the show was I asked you who you were leaning towards, and um, – Ooh, don't say it. Though. I won't say. I won't say. But you said the X. And then when we were talking in before the show, you said the Spurs. And when you're talking about teams, it's usually just the team. So you would say Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur or Spurs. It's just like one word. There's no – it's not the Patriots, the Timberwolves, whatever it is. It's just the team name. So ever, it's not the Everton. It's Everton got it offered. um so lose lose the definite article yes yes well, Eng- were you an english major or? <laughs> no not just a dork okay fair enough
1: right. chris is lost chris is lost
2: <laughs> no i'm i'm with you on that because people make fun of me when i like talk about bands and i'm like the rascal flats like it's not the rascal flats it's rascal flats i'm like right I'm talking about them so it's the rascal Flats. I'm the same way though. I I was doing the same thing. The Spurs, the Toffees, the whoever you want to call them.
0: Yeah, and like it, it's weird because you teams do have like you would say the Toffees because that's the team nickname, but Spurs technically isn't like their nickname. It's just like an alternative name for them because a hot spur. Got so it. you wouldn't, yeah. So it and same with like Wolverhampton Wanderers, you wouldn't say the Wolves, you'd say Wolves. Okay. So that you could you would say the bluebirds if you're referring to
1: Cardiff. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Or or the magpies for, for Newcastle or you know, the clarets for Burnley, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. All right. This is so
1: good. This is why we have this term of the week. So we can yeah, there you go. be more edu- more well educated as we as we move forward. Yeah. Well, James, you have literally the final word. You have the last opportunity to convince us. We already, like, I already listed my teams one through 19 and sent my list to Chris. Chris only gets, Chris came on midway through, through the podcast okay. and he only got to select from the teams that we have. Left. Oh, that was my stipulation okay. for him. So he only has like eight or nine teams to choose from. So he sent me his like one through eight. So we've listed them and we've just left Everton just sitting there all by himself or herself. I don't know Yeah, he is, but we've left her there ready to be placed, slotted somewhere. So what is the final word to convince us to support the Toffees?
0: There you go. So, I mean, I'm not a salesman, so I can't really sell you, but I can speak just to, like, my personal experience. Um, What I've found is that Everton fans and the club are one of the most authentic and genuine, like, clubs. It's it's a sport, but it goes beyond that for a lot of these people. Like you go to, and you can say this for, for multiple clubs, like you go to Liverpool and like people live, breathe and die by, they go to the game every week, season ticket holders. Um, And I think the authenticity of the club where they're not um, super commercialized, they don't have the global branding, nothing against it. It's, it's made a lot of clubs successful, but they still exist in kind of this like, Bubble almost where you get like the real authentic feel for the fandom of English soccer, um, English football. I'll get <laughs> I'll get crucified for saying for saying soccer over and over again, but that's just the American in me. But it's an unbelievable club. The fans are amazing. Everyone I've ever met that's an Everton fan or talked to that's an Everton fan has been incredible. The club itself, like I said, a ton of history. So even though there isn't recent history, um, it's kind of there's, I mean, there's no better time to jump on board now because the, I'm very, very optimistic about Everton's prospects over the next five or six years. Um, and into the future with the new ownership, with the new director of football, new coach, new stadium on the way. Um, there's really, it's a really good time to be an Everton fan. And if you were to be chosen or to choose Everton as your club, you'd be welcomed with open arms.
1: Great, man. Well, we, we appreciate it. Uh, I guess we will find out. So this episode is going to drop tomorrow morning. That's Friday. And then we're going to drop our, our final episode on Saturday. So the Saturday before the final, final day of the season, we're going to, we're going to reveal so we can at least cheer for our clubs on the final day of the season if our wives sleep in late <laughs> enough because it's yeah. mother's day, which is just a horrendous day for, for a, a premier league fan. So my wife's yeah. just got to sleep to like eight forty <laughs> five, babe, please sleep to eight 45. I'll take care of the kids. We'll watch the matches and then we'll come and get you. Um, so yeah, so this is it. Like maybe in the next, uh, 24, 36 hours, uh, the, the premier league God will, who has predestined us will choose us also to then uh, maybe be an Everton fan.
0: There you go. It's up to you. The choice is yours, gentlemen. I hope okay. you make the right one.
1: Thanks man. And it, you are at USA toffee pod. On That's Twitter, correct. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're an Everton fan out there in the void, give us a follow, interact with us. Um, and listen yeah, to the podcast. Absolutely. And, and thanks you guys for having me on. Really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, we appreciate it, James. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks guys.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode, the final interview with Nate Hughes and Chris Smith. Our theme song is something elated by broke for free thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. If you like these podcasts, go to onemission.org slash donate and make a donation to this great organization. 100% of your donation will go directly to projects and programs in the field and be tied directly to a family. That's onemission.org slash donate. Recording, mixing, everything is done by me, Nate Hughes, except for the intro. That's done by wife Emily we're on both iTunes and Google Play please rate us and comment if you enjoy the pod you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at football neophyte that's neophyte without the e we'll be back with our final episode where we reveal which teams we choose until then grace peace and love
2: Leads in towards Ashley Barnes. The offside flag is up. It's an excellent finish, but it counts for nothing. But...
0: Yes. So well taken, Dad, black, black team scored.
1: scored.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it was offside. Oh, nice. But that's good because he was turning yes. for the blue team. Too soon. Right. That is,
1: is way, way offside, is. Dad, you missed the replay. Oh, I did. But he was so offside. He reached double figures for the first time. He was so offside. He scored his last nine away games, including goals in each of his last two matches on the road.
0: But it was a great goal. He kicked he was in it into the goal.
1: He didn't change it in wide.
0: He did a backflip
1: and then he kicked it into the goal. He did a backflip. Albert
2: Lewin. Yeah, you did.